you turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he says, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father God, we have your word before us this evening, Father, as we read and as we examine the scriptures, Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit tonight will touch lives, dear God, in a, in a special sort of way, Father. And whatever you see fit to do tonight in this service, I just pray that your will will be done. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It was an interesting story that came out probably around 2004 about a man who received a lot of attention for his unusual sacrifice. In fact, his selfless act created a lot of notoriety for him. He was being called by the local media in his town a, a hero. The reason Robert Smitty was receiving in of, of, such, of, of so much congratulation and attention that he willingly donated one of his kidneys to a perfect stranger. So according to the news reports, Rob said that his motivation for doing something like this would, that it would make his children proud of him. The trouble with that was that his 10-year-old daughter, Amber, was not impressed by his sacrifice. Amber said during an interview that her father never came to see her, never came to see her mother, his ex-wife. He never called, never tried to contact them, even on her birthday. And Amber said this about her father. I don't think my father is much of a hero. Now, the case kind of took an interesting turn as public documents uh, revealed that Rob hadn't paid child support for over a year to Amber's mother. So can you imagine, you know, Rob's getting all the public accolades. It backfired on him because he hadn't even been paying his wife, ex-wife child support. Can you imagine that? Giving one of your kidneys to a perfect stranger in need when failing to provide for the needs of your own children. Well, it's really not all that remarkable. In fact, it's classic human nature. Uh, many times we like to define where we will act right, how we will look good, and what we will look like, to whom, at what time, and at the same time, avoiding the hard truths about ourselves. Making a good impression can be accomplished from a distance, but being authentic is proven up close. And if you and I will honestly consider the truths here in Romans chapter 12, it will absolutely remove the ability to make a good impression uh, to ourselves, to others, and most importantly to God as we apply these disciplines of the Christian faith to our lives. It will take the mask off, so to speak. So Paul is now after the reality of Christianity. So in the first 11 verses uh, of Romans it's possible for us to say, yeah, I've read all that stuff, all the great doctrines of the faith, and I believe every one of them. I believe, 
I believe sin. I believe in original sin. I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. I believe in justification by faith. I believe in God's election. I believe in grace. I believe in evangelism. You know, we can talk about those doctrines all day long. I'm right here with you. I sign on the dotted line. I believe all those, right? And I believe everyone here tonight would probably agree with them, right? We believe those. But the, the issue here with Paul in chapter 12, he's not going to talk much about what we believe. Beginning in chapter 12, he's going to talk about how we are to behave and how you and I are to live as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul is going to move from doctrinal education until into the, the realm of doctrinal application, from principle to practice. So in chapter 12, Paul defines authentic Christianity. It's a, it's a chapter that tests us right up close, right, right where we live and right where we breathe. It's one of those chapters that looks at our character not through a telescope, but through a microscope. It's not for the faint of heart, by the way, chapter 12. It's not the, it's not the favorite chapter for the Sunday morning uh, attending only church member. Okay? Uh, as Paul defines true Christianity, we will discover all over again, maybe to our discomfort, that is more than words, living for Jesus is more than lip service, it's more than a creed. It's more than saying a sinner's prayer. It's more than being baptized. It's more than signing up to become a church member. It is more than an act of sacrifice to a perfect stranger. So let's take a look at true, authentic Christianity. I find it interesting as we look at uh, verse 1 of, of Romans 12 that the only vocabulary the Apostle Paul uh, can use to capture the essence of Christianity is the language of total sacrifice and total transformation. There's no such thing in the eyes of God of 75%. I live for God 75% of the time, and I live for myself 25% of the time. With Jesus Christ is either all or nothing. That's the only options. And Paul is going to begin in chapter 12 with his characteristic passion or plea. And he says, therefore, okay, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, Paul is saying, uh, on the basis of everything that Paul has already described in the letter to, Ro in, to the, uh, the, letter to the Romans, uh, not just what we call chapter 11, but the entire book, by the way, from the very beginning, when Paul describes himself in chapter 1, as a, as he describes himself as a slave or a bondservant of the Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in chapter 12, Paul says, verse 1, Therefore, Paul is saying, everything you've learned thus far, God, everything you've learned about God, here is how you should live for God. And so Paul says, therefore, brethren, I urge you. Now, the word urge is a kind of an interesting word. It can be translated uh, beg, to appeal to, or to plead with. Think of this. Think of, think of the tremendous implications of this. God is begging you and me to give of ourselves to him in total surrender. Think about God and, and what all, all that encompasses, uh, what all that encompasses, by the way, and all that he's done for us, God is pleading with us 
to live for him. You know, Paul doesn't say, now listen, fellas, uh, in light of everything you've learned, I think it'd really be a great idea if you would live for Christ. It'd kind of be nice if you just go out and do your best, right? No, Paul doesn't say that. He's saying, I plead with you, brethren, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, before we get too far along in the message, I just want to bring up a couple points here. Uh, first, the first point is, authentic Christian living is motivated by gratitude. Authentic Christian living is motivated by gratitude, not guilt, by the way. So Paul writes, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So Paul is saying, listen, brethren, in view of, of everything that God has given to us, in light of the grace of God toward us, because everything God has provided for us, not he says, do the only thing that you should do. Give him your life. And that's the only fitting response for the Christian, do you all agree? Based on everything God has given to us, we are to give ourselves back to God. Now, not only is this motivation for, for Christian living, I think it's the secret for Christian victory as we live each day for the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us everything that we can imagine, everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. We don't need anything else from God. We don't need anything more. And in fact, throughout his letter, and Justin put them on the board for us, and we're not going to take time to read all these. We just might mention some of them. Um, Paul talks about the revealed mercies of God, and these include the peace of God, the power of the gospel, 116 the kindness and long-suffering of God toward us, a right standing before God. Now imagine this, the mercies of God includes forgiveness of every sin that you've ever committed, past, present, and future. We also have the hope in God's glory. And we have in, in Romans 5, 5, uh, the love of God poured out in our hearts. Romans 5, 5 also tells us that God has given to us the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that we've been justified by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine you and I, tonight, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think of anything more wonderful than that, can you? Having peace with God. He also says that we've been saved, we've been given salvation from the wrath to come. We've been reconciled with God, Romans 5.10. We've been given the gift of eternal life, Romans 6.23. And the list goes on and on and on. And God has given us everything that we could possibly dream of to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why Paul doesn't begin this chapter uh, <clears throat> on the subject of Christian behavior by saying, now there's one more thing you need to receive from God. You've got everything when you have Jesus Christ. That's why Paul told the church at Colossae, you are complete in Christ. You have everything to live for him. Authentic Christian living is not about receiving from God, but giving back to God. Now, don't misunderstand me. Let me, let me put it this way. Being saved is when we receive something from God, right? Amen. We receive God's free gift of salvation. To as many as received him through them, he gave the power of God to become the sons of God. So we receive everything from God at the moment of salvation, 
Being a sacrifice is when we give everything to God. Salvation is God's gift to us. Being a sacrifice is our gift to God. There is the secret to victorious Christian living. It's not God doing. It's not God saying or giving anything more to us. Anything more than he's already done or said or given us all that we need. Now it's our turn to give to him. And Paul makes it very clear that we give to him motivated not by getting more, but by the simple fact that we've already gotten it all in the mercies of God. Being a living sacrifice is not about getting more from God, but giving our all to God. And the question here tonight for me and you is, what motivates our Christian experience? What motivates you tonight to live for Jesus Christ? Why do you do what you do for God? Now, remember, he's writing to the believers here, right? He says in, in verse 1, brethren, he uses the word, that means brothers in Christ. He's not talking to the lost crowd. He's talking to Christians. He never asked the unbeliever to do anything, right? Other than accept that sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he paid at Calvary for us. Well, what is your motivation tonight? Is it a, a sense of obligation? Is it bribery? Well, if I do this, God will do this for me. Is it guilt? Is it fear? The basis of Christian living, according to Paul's very first words here in chapter 12, verse 1, is not obligation, it's not bribery, it's not guilt, it's not fear, it's gratitude. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by, because of the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. So let me make another uh, observation of, of Paul's pass, uh, uh, passionate request here to the believers. Point number two, authentic Christian living is not partial surrender, it's total surrender. Paul writes, present your bodies. Now what does that word body, what does he mean when Paul says present your bodies? Literally, Paul is saying present your entire being. One translation reads, present your, all your faculties. Another translation reads, present your whole being to God. Paul is thinking more than flesh and blood, by the way, or flesh and bones. He has in mind the fact that we live in our bodies and our bodies represent everything we have to offer. Inside our bodies is our mind, our intellect, our emotions, our plans, our will, our dreams, our, our, our thoughts, our desires, our hopes, our frustrations, our disappointments, our longings, everything that we have is in our bodies. So what Paul is saying, what you and I should do as believers, you and I should lay on the altar and offer up to God our hopes, our longings, our disappointments, my will, your will to God, our emotions, our intellect, our plans, everything God we sacrifice to him. By the way, the text implies that we can refuse, by the way. And you might think, well, surely God can force you or God can command us. But that's not the point. God wants us to freely give of ourselves to him. Over and over again, the matter of Christian conduct is our responsibility before God. Now, in the Old Testament, the believer chose to bring a sacrifice to God. In the New Testament, this is the difference, the believer chooses 
to be the sacrifice to God. We're no longer bringing sacrifices. We are the sacrifice. And I don't know about you, what you're thinking tonight, but I think it'd be much easier to give a sacrifice than to be a sacrifice. What do you all think? Kind of like the story of the farmer who went to his barn one morning and asked his animals to contribute something to his breakfast, right? So the hen clucked that she would, you know, give a couple eggs, and the cow moved, yeah, he'd give some, a pint of milk or whatever, and so everybody else looked at the reluctant-looking hog there and said, well, what, what do you have to give, hog? Uh, aren't you going to give something to the dear farmer who owns this? And the pig responded, well, that's easy for you to say. For you, it's a minor contribution. For me, it's total commitment. Now, that's kind of a humorous story, but you see the point, right? God wants a total commitment from us. You know, a lot of times, we don't mind uh, temporary contributions that can be replaced, but our attitude is a bit different when our contribution is to present uh, to God something that he may not give back. To yield something to him, to yield something to God that he may never let us have control over again. To offer something to him that he may never replace. The song that uh, Judy led us in a moment ago before I, I stepped up on the platform was written by Frances Habigail, uh, who wrote what she called her hymn of consecration. She was at a point in her life, she came to the crossroads in her life. She had been a believer for many decades, but she knew there was a place in her heart and life that she didn't want God to have. She wrote that one day as if it were a shock of electricity to her mind. She realized that she must sacrifice every corner of her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. She wrote, and I'm quoting, quote, I realize there must be full surrender before there can be satisfaction, unquote. And we Christians have been singing our hymn, her hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, for 150 years now. It's Romans chapter 12, actually, put into song. And some of the lyrics are right up here on the board. Take a look at them, by the way. Take my life. And think about what it's saying in this song. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let them sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and take my gold, <clears throat> not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will ever only be all for thee. Wow. Are we willing to, to sing that? We can sing it, right? But are we really, act, really actually willing to do that? Made for a nice song, sounds good, but do we actually do it? Can we apply this? Paul describes an offering three ways, you know. Paul's not suggesting that we give to God just any old offering. He describes the offering in three ways. First of all, he says about the offering, it's alive. You know, here's the problem. Offerings on altars 
were typically not breathing. They, they were dead. And that's how the Jews and the Gentiles in Paul's day would comprehend the concept of an offering. However, Paul says that God does not want a lifeless offering. He wants a live offering. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And this is what I like with J. Vernon McGee. He said this. He says, the trouble with being alive is that we're constantly wanting to crawl down off the altar. Right? A, a living sacrifice is a reference to the ongoing nature of that sacrifice. It goes on and on. It's not a one-time thing. It goes on and on each and every day of our lives. It's not an offering of every day to God just on the, on the Sabbath. Well, I only do it on Saturday on the Sabbath. Well, I only do it on Sunday. This is the kind of offering that goes beyond salvation, goes beyond Sunday. It is a holy offering. It's a holy sacrifice. Paul adds to the description here, he says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You know, just as the Old Testament uh, believer would bring an offering to God that was uh, holy, harmless, undefiled, the description of the, of the Lord Jesus, the, the, the lamb was supposed to be unblemished. And Paul uses the analogy to urge the believer to live a pure life. And the word for holy is used in the Old Testament for the holy place and the holy of holies. And in, in the New Testament, <clears throat> the believer is informed that he is now the holy of holies. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? The Spirit of God dwells in you. Did you know that? If you're a believer, you have that Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. You are the temple of God. Some people have a hard time grasping that principle, by the way, but it's right there in the scriptures. Paul says over in 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, we're a holy priesthood. Paul had already written in, 1, uh, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, he says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Don't give God our leftovers, right? Don't give, our, uh, don't give of your life in, in sin and expect to take that same life and offer it to God like he would really want it. God wants us to be holy. He doesn't want our trash. He wants our holiness. Over and over again, the apostles refer to believers as what? Saints, right? You know, that's not something that happens when you die and they have some council has to take a vote on it, by the way. It's something that you were made by the grace of God the moment you were converted and came into God's kingdom as his child. You became a saint, Saint Nick. And that's not Santa Claus, but Saint Nick Burns, okay? <laughs> it is not something you become after you die. Saint is a term uh, used to refer to believers who are alive, okay? Paul writes, he, he wrote to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who, are at, who are, are at Colossae, right? So he's talking to living folks here, not dead folks. And he says, to all the saints in, G in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And to those are the saints by calling, he says, oh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. We are saints already. We are already been set apart unto God as his redeemed people. But what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we should live like it, okay? Live like we've been set apart. In other words, we're saints 
Now we're to act like it. You either choose like you're a saint or you choose something different for your life. We choose to live like a saint wherever we go. Oh, than in church, by the way. You know, everybody can put on a good front up here in church, right? But what about in the workplace? What about in the shop? What about in a lunchroom somewhere where you work at? What about on a date, young folks? What about on the golf course? And some of you golfers might figure that's a hard thing to do on the golf course. What about campus? What are, in your school? What about at home? Do you choose to act like a saint there? We're to act like a saint. The only way we can is to present our body to Jesus Christ. These are his hands. These are his feet. These are his eyes. These are his ears. Now, Paul writes, he says, when we make that kind of sacrifice, Paul writes further, he says, it is acceptable or well-pleasing to God. He says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable or well-pleasing to God. God accepts the offering of your day with pleasure, by the way, when we choose to live like a saint of God. Is God pleased with you? Is he pleased with me? Well, I, I can't answer that for you. Sometimes I get confused about myself sometimes. Well, what have you placed on the altar for our Lord Jesus Christ? How extravagant is your gift? in light of everything God has done for us. Fellas, you, you guys have been married for a while, and some of you young guys that might be married one, one day, maybe there might be some hope for you, but anyway. <laughs> Fellas, when you proposed to your sweetheart, right, uh, you didn't think for a moment, I'll go down to the Walmart and i get the cheapest thing out of the bubblegum machine, right? You didn't, you didn't think that, right? Any old ring will do, anything will do. Some of you needed a lot of help and a lot of persuading to get your wives to marry you, right? So you couldn't just use any old ring. <clears throat> you got the most extravagant ring that you could afford, right? And that would reflect her value to you, right? You didn't want to have to get her a magnifying glass so she could see the little bitty diamond in it, right? No? Where's the diamond in that thing anyway? But you, in effect... Through that ring, you were presenting yourself to her, right? And you young guys there, if your sweetheart accepts your proposal, okay, um, a wedding day, you'll have a wedding day one day, and you folks, guys might, might remember that, uh, your bride-to-be, she just, that morning the way, she just reached in the closet, grabbed that any old dress she could find, right? Is that how it went? No, I don't think it went that way. Brides normally want to have the, the white gown and be very feminine and regal, a beautiful dress, which has been chosen, okay, to be the best that she could possibly afford to represent her, her value, you know, what she thinks of you, by the way. <clears throat> you want to give your husband-to-be, you want to give your wife-to-be the very best because that represents how much you value her or him, by the way. The ring you hopefully select for your future bride, hopefully that will be pleasing to her, and hopefully the, the gown that she selects would be pleasing to you, by the way, and that will be your objective, right? 
You want to be pleasing to your spouse. Now, Paul writes, listen, brethren, present this kind of offering here, like he mentions in verse 1 and 2, to the Lord, sacrifice your daily life to him, the sacrifice of a holy life, and God will be pleased. Isn't that the objective? To please God by our lives and what we present to him? The question a living sacrifice asks is not, well, am I pleased with what I'm offering? But is God pleased with our offering? Let me just kind of wrap up with a couple, a couple more points uh, from Romans chapter 12. Jesus Christ is inviting the believer to sacrifice everything without negotiating the terms of surrender. You know, the funny thing about sacrifices is that they automatically give up the right to negotiate the altars. You know, we don't determine where they're located, how comfortably they're built, what conditions surround them, by the way. We give our all to him. Presenting yourself to God means your life is out of your hands. It's no longer in your control. An extravagant offering comes with no strings attached. Yeah, I, I like this, this Jacob. He was, uh, he has an interesting character if you study the Old Testament. He was, of course, a, a scoundrel in many ways. He's a manipulator. Um, the Genesis chapter 28 talks about that he was on the run from his brother Esau. He was afraid of his brother, so he sends all these gifts ahead to try to, uh, you know, calm his brother down a little bit so he wouldn't kill him. Um, but this is what Jacob prayed to God. He prayed to God and said, Lord, if... Uh-oh, you're already in trouble if you're using that word if, right? You know, you can throw that word out and start over again in your prayers. Okay, that's a troublesome word, if. Lord, if you will be with me on this journey and bring me back safely and give me food to eat and give me clothes to wear, then you will be my God. You think God is pleased with that kind of statement? Well, God, if you do this for me, I'll surely do this for you. And this is, it goes on, the story goes on, and Jacob, uh, he says, well, you know, I, I got this boulder here. I got this rock here on the ground. I'll set it on the ground and I'll dedicate this as God's rock. This will be God's place here. In, in other words, uh, Lord, you take this rock and this will be a monument here of your faithfulness to me. Isn't that nice of Jacob to do that? Wasn't he a generous guy to give God a rock? He says, Lord, I'll dedicate this rock and all this ground around as your temple and this will be your special rock. And I'm sure God was saying, Gee, thanks a lot, Jacob. You give me a rock. Wow, I get that. I'm lucky to have you, Jacob. You're really a swell guy. Well, we're not much different than Jacob. We offer up pitiful sacrifices to God. God, take this. This is all I got today. We keep 50% back for ourselves. We really think we're doing something when we give 50% to God. The quality of the gift reveals the value of the recipient to the giver. If we really love God like we say we do, then what we give him will be something that's valuable to us and to him. Let, let, let me kind of put it this way. The quality of your life sacrificed to God reveals what you think of God. In a wedding, will any old dress do? Just any old girls, any old thing you grab out the cloth? Oh, I ain't got time to put that else off. Guys, will any old ring do? 
Jesus Christ is not asking the believer, who will die for me? He's asking, who will live for me? Which is a much harder question, by the way. Have any, any of you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? And you read that and you think about these men and women that give their life for Jesus Christ and how they die and they stood firm on the faith and what they believed in. And many heroes of the faith have done that. They die a martyr's death in one heroic act of faith. Uh, God most likely um, will not call us to that kind of death, but he is calling us to that kind of life. You know, there, there are probably many Christians who might even be willing to win the martyr's crown who are willing with eagerness to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. How many, though, are just as eager to live for Christ? Living for Christ on a day-to-day basis, you know, that can be kind of routine, that can be kind of ordinary, and some people think it might be kind of mundane to live for Jesus. Folks, God is not calling you to die a martyr's death and then go to heaven. He's calling you to live a martyr's life on earth, to live with other believers, Sold out for the cause of Jesus Christ. I like the little poem that says this. To live above with the saints we love. That will be grace and glory. But to live, what, uh, to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. You know, living down here sometimes can be difficult. Particularly with people that you know and love. But that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be that sacrifice. Well, let me go ahead and wrap up, and then we'll turn the invitation over to Norman. He, he's got part two of the sermon, by the way, in his hip pocket. I'm, I'm sure he has. But, you know, God, God, God is not inviting you to a life of deliverance, but a, to a life of dedication. You know, deliverance will come one day. When we reach heaven's shores, we'll be delivered. We'll be glorified. But until then, we say as believers... Because of your mercies, God, toward me, can I do other than anything else than to give you my entire being? May I live daily for you, holy and set apart, not for my glory, not for my pleasure, but for yours alone, God. Living sacrifices have been praying like that in every generation. Will you be willing to pray like that and become a living sacrifice? to the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day. John Wesley prayed a prayer. Remember, he was one of the pioneers of the Great Awakening who often put his life on the line for the cause of Christ. And, and sometime in the 1800s, he pinned down this prayer of total concentration, consecration to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what it says. Listen to the words. I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou will. Rank me with whom thou will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. Romans chapter 12 gets right to the heart of the matter. Paul calls, uh, calls us to model the attitude of Jesus Christ and becoming a living sacrifice. And if you're one of God's children here tonight, God is expecting something radical from you. Just like a butterfly when it breaks free of the cocoon. It's alive. 
It's drastically different than what it was before. And that's what God wants from us. He wants to, be us, wants to have us to live different lives that are separated from the world about us. He wants to offer ourselves up to him as a sacrifice. Will you be willing to do that? Will you just ponder the principles and some of the things we've talked about tonight?